Without Tenzin Sonam at my side, I'd have great difficulty conducting our daily classes. At the end of my first week of teaching, I realized the profound importance of clear translation. Each day we plow into more complex concepts requiring more scientific terms and pitching us into ever more convoluted discussions. What would I do without Tenzin? Tenzin has a profound story that goes with his exceptional linguistic skills. His parents fled Tibet in 1961 and settled in Dharamsala. After getting a degree in engineering, Tenzin became one of the first staff members in the Library of Tibetan Works and Archives to work on science translation. Since he has no background in cosmology, we've talked extensively about how to handle jargon and subtle concepts. Beyond that, the relationship is based on trust. I speak in short bursts, several sentences at a time. He translates without hesitation. I watch their faces to see if the monk's expressions are clear or cloudy. Questions and answers are handled in the same way. By closing the loop with discussion, I can ensure they've truly understood. Nevertheless, teaching from one language to another may be the most inefficient form of education known. I'm chafing at the fact that it takes twice as long to cover the material this way. It's also frustrating not to be able to keep up with the discussion among the monks. They're inside the candy store, feasting on the morsels of knowledge and living it up with spontaneous and raucous camaraderie. I'm the kid with his nose pressed against the candy store window, wishing I could get inside. Meanwhile, Tenzin sews together our verbal exchanges as seamlessly as possible. We return to our topic of the material content of the universe. How do we estimate the content? I ask rhetorically. The first thing we should know is the limitation of the human eye. That's why we now rely on electronic detectors and telescopes. They pick up electromagnetic radiation we can't see. I ask the monks why telescopes are better than eyes. Bigger, says one monk. Rather than reply immediately, I hand out rulers. In pairs, the monks carefully measure each other's pupils at a slight distance for safety. The pupil of the human eye is an aperture. It's black because light goes in but doesn't come out, being absorbed by pigments in the retina. The average monk pupil is four millimeters across, and we adjust that to eight millimeters since a pupil opens wider in the dark. A telescope is also an aperture, and a medium-sized telescope is two meters in diameter. So the telescope has about 60,000 times more area than the pupil, a large gain in light-gathering power. In modern telescopes, the light hits electronic detectors, and not human eyes, that convert virtually every photon arriving through the telescope aperture into digital data. For all the wonders of the human eye, its retina only registers a small percentage of the arriving light. What about a camera, I asked the monks. What advantage does it have over the eye? They get this one quickly. Cameras have variable exposure times. With a camera behind a telescope, astronomers can open the shutter for 15 or 20 minutes or more and collect much more light from very faint objects. To see how much more, we pause to make thaumatropes. This toy, popular in Victorian times, is spun until two images visually merge together. Making a thaumatrope requires a circular piece of white cardboard, which I began handing out to the monks. 
With little explanation, I ask them to draw a picture on both sides, requiring only that the two pictures are centered on the same point and that they complement each other. I give an example, a flower on one side, a flower pot on the other. The monks split into groups and the designing begins. They do pairings of a face and its features, a bird and a cage, and the base of a temple and a tiered roof. Most elegant of all is a Buddha and a surrounding altar. When the cards are complete, each one is attached to the end of a thick straw, so that they look like large lollipops. I ask them to spin the straw between the palms of their hands and watch what happens to the two pictures as the speed is varied. The room is alive with chatter and laughter. They realize that when the card spins above a certain rate, the images on either side of the card merge into one. It's called persistence of vision. That rate matches the time the eye gathers light before resetting and forming a new image, which is like the exposure time for a camera. It's not easy for the monks to measure the spin rate at which the merger takes place, but it's a good creative struggle. Eventually, a few groups manage a crude method of measurement. They measure how far the straw rolls per second along their palm and divide it by the straw circumference to get a spin rate. The average answer is ten times per second, so the brain registers what's falling on the retina every tenth of a second. To properly compare the power of light gathering in the eye with electronic detectors in a telescope is complicated, but I assure them that the two aren't even close. The best telescopes have the power to gather ten billion more times light than the eye.